0: Again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Facillo, as always, joined by Joe Rasinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in. To The Breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. You all out there know what I'm about to say. Download the app, okay? The app, we're an EWTN affiliate, so you get all that content. You get Bishop Caggiano, Restless, Frontline with Joe and Joe, and share the app information with your friends. And if you like what Joe and I do, Please uh, support us on social media at Frontline TV, Frontline TV on YouTube. We're up to about 70,000 subscribers, pretty good. We're getting the message out there. Um, So, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Hans Plate, and he is the founder and president of Vinia Research. And some of you out there might know Hans, but if you don't, I'm going to give a brief introduction. Uh, Hans Plate is the founder, as I said, and president of Vinea Research with more than 25 years of experience providing professional market research to industry-leading companies such as Pfizer and Medtronic. Hans felt compelled to apply proven business-based research methods in service to the church. Combining his market research expertise with his devout Catholic beliefs, Hans leads a team at Vineyard Research to provide high-caliber, action-oriented market research to parishes, church leadership, apostolates, and advocacy groups. Hans resides in Northeast Maryland with his wife and five daughters. Hans Plate, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Thank you, Joe. It's uh, it's really good to be here. Happy it's to be good here. to have you here. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello
1: hans we always start with a prayer because all good things start with a prayer in the name of the father son holy spirit amen remember o most gracious virgin mary never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided inspired by this confidence we fly into you a virgin of virgins our mother to you we come before you we stand sinful and sorrowful oh mother of the word incarnate despise not our petitions but in your clemency hear and answer us amen name of the father son holy spirit amen Hans, I'd I'd like to begin with you before we get into the company. Um, Here you are. You know, you're a successful guy. You're working with Fortune 500 companies. Um, Now you're working with the church. How do you make that connection? I mean, let's be honest. um, I work in corporate America. So do you. A lot of people don't do that. (laughs) Let's be truthful with you. So, like, how did that happen? Uh, Tell us a little bit about your journey sure sure um so I, I'm a cradle Catholic
2: and um, however I really grew up for most of my life as a lukewarm Catholic um and you know I, I met my wife uh, when we were dating um uh, outside of DC and you know I knew I was able to I, I knew when to sit kneel and stand at Mass right I knew some basic prayers um and so th- that that was the extent of of my Catholicity and and uh, slowly and surely, I guess my wife kind of ultimately my wife uh, picked up on that and really started praying for me. And she got all of her prayer warriors, um, you know, involved in praying for my conversion, because she could sense a little more deeply after we got married right the the lukewarmness of of my heart and um and you know th- she would go to things like the the franciscan um conferences right defending the faith and she would listen to all these these people and she would invite me to to these talks and I, I just wouldn't go because i would say that you know it's okay i've got a personal relationship with god i don't i don't need that um and and so i wouldn't and of course now i reflect back on that and I'm like oh all these missed um opportunities to to, to get into to some of those um, talk, conversations, and, and conferences, but but she ultimately was able to drag me to a Jeff Cavins uh, seminar uh, that he had over two days, and it was something about him walking through uh, salvation history that that captured me and 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 that set me on a tremendous path uh, to of growth and interest in my faith and i read so much after that um obviously the bible and bible studies but also um like scott hans books right because he explained the faith so well you know, i listened to so many matthew kelly talks because he also has a different way of talking about it and is really compelling um, patrick madrid has so much that he does in in the um, apologetics world and and ultimately it awakened my faith, so much so that I went to my pastor and and I, and I said, you know, I, I think I'm discerning um, becoming a deacon. Um, what 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 do I do with that, right? And he's like, join the RCAA team. So so I did, and um, you know I had a, a couple of times where I would you know give a talk on something. But at the at the end of the the session, well, after people had been had come into the church, there was a talk on time, talent, and treasure, and. Time I could easily understand, right? Obviously, you volunteer to to do things for the community or for the, you know, whoever just volunteers volunteer your time. Treasure, obviously donate money. But I was really intrigued and and, and stumped by the whole talent part. I was like, talent, talent, what can I do with that? And then it occurred to me, okay, what I do is provide information so that others can do a better job at, you know, in in my case, marketing to them. I I was already in, in the market research industry and and the light bulb went off that. That could be done uh, in the Catholic Church, and you know we'll get into some of the details of that. But that was, it. It took me not becoming a lukewarm Catholic, and then you know having these Holy Spirit moments where I first you know talked to the the my pastor about becoming a deacon, which I discerned out of, by the way, um, and then and then being a part of this this conversation and and trying to do something with it, right? Just listening and, and being prompted and, and moving in that direction. And it just, it led to the formation of Vinea Research, you know, years later, it, it wasn't like an immediate thing, but it that's that's ultimately the path that got me
0: here. And Hans Plate is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. And Vineyard Research is his company and he does market research and he helps the church, parishes, church leadership, apostolates. It's funny, when I was waiting tables in New York, I'm now in Arizona, um, but yeah. when I was in New York in Midtown, I had a regular uh, a regular guest who used to you know request me um and i knew he was catholic he was a good catholic from connecticut he worked in the city i remember overhearing him in a conversation one time he says you know these guys they say they say everything that needs to be said from the pulpit but they don't know how to run a parish for anything they're you know, <laughs> talking about bottom line again he made a lot of sense because a lot of these parishes we rely on our priests you know the leadership of the parish the pastor uh to you know to 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 feed our souls okay um to consecrate the eucharist a lot of them don't understand, you know, pluses and minuses, balance sheets, things like that. How does your market research help these priests? I'm just going to focus on the pastors in particular uh, particular to help them. Let's talk about parishes for a second. How does your vineyard research, how does that help the the church in that regard? So –
2: I'll, there, there's a, there's so many different kinds of research you can do out there. One of the, one of the kinds that we do a lot in the commercial world is what we call landscape research. So if, if you're interested in developing a product or a service uh, for one particular um, segment of the population, and, and you want to learn more about that segment, that audience, then you do this landscape research, which is all about understanding them both from their. Uh, from a behavioral perspective, as well as their emotional perspective, because every behavior has an emotional driver and there are research techniques that are, are used to get at those emotional drivers. Um, But I would, I would say, you know, an individual pastor or a parish or maybe even the diocese, right. Can really benefit from trying to better understand where their, their flock is at on, on anything. I mean, you know, it could just be a, a matter of where are they in terms of the faith um, you know, uh, Pew recently came out with a study that everyone, you know, really latched onto about the Eucharist, right? Um, and how many Catholics don't believe in the Eucharist? And you know, it's it's you know, what does that mean exactly, right? I mean, like, so yeah. it's it's really interesting how it. If you looked at the survey, basically, what they did is they took all these different denominations and they would ask them one, two, or three questions about their denomination or faith, and ask them, "Do you believe this?" And 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 so much, you know, came, came from from that one question, but. As an example, I'm not sure that the Eucharist belief in the Eucharist is the problem. I think we kind of need to go upstream a little bit to find out. Well, what's what's the driver really behind people not currently believing in in the Eucharist? But anyway, stepping back to your question, I think it's about a matter of you know doing research to better understand your flock so that you can better minister to them. Uh, because being a pastor is incredibly difficult because the pop there is there is no Catholic right. There's You know, we we do prototype kind of research or personification research, and there is no single Catholic because Catholics are so diverse in in who they are and what they're made up of that, Mm -hmm. you know, I think they need to better understand that
0: for sure. All right. hans for sure. plate joining us here at the front line with joe and joe um the co the founder of vinnia research and he's helping the church he's taking his talents as we said and, and and using those talents in the service of the church i think what you're doing is phenomenal to <laughs> use a business term then i guess what you would say is you provide actionable information to a diocese they can they can look at it they like you said they could see where their flock is at maybe understand what some of the issues are some people just don't know you know you mentioned about the eucharist some people just don't know maybe they've been catechized poorly, whatever the case might be. So I think what you're doing is great. That's why we're having you here at the front line with Joe and Joe Hans played. I'm going to hand it over to Joe Ressinello.
1: What I think a lot of people don't understand, I work in the corporate arena as well. Um, companies don't just do things arbitrarily. I mean, mm. I think the common person sometimes thinks that. Like, nothing is done arbitrarily. They understand their demographic. That's how people make money. It's not done arbitrarily. And, you know, the church should look at their demographic, which is everybody. Now, let's look at some drivers. I always say like Joe and I do a lot of um, commentary, cultural commentary. I always say the best poll is looking right out your window. Who's going to church? You have five children, Hans. I have five children. Um, I don't see anyone on my street going to church. Mm. I, I I know they're Catholic. I live in a predominantly Italian, Irish, Polish community, working class, middle class but in New Jersey. They're not going to church. Why? This is my thoughts and I'm interested in yours. They don't see the value in it. Like parents value, you have kids, I got kids. They value a million things. What are you going to get on your SATs? I want you to be the star baseball player. Let's go to baseball camp this summer. Let's go do an SAT course. So you're, you know, you're up to speed for your, you know, your SATs. I say this all the time. The most important thing, I mean, what my wife and I say is to instill your faith in kids because it's going to guide every one of their decisions, whether they go to Yale or they work in ShopRite. Talk about that. You got five kids. I'm sure you and your wife have similar conversations and you're looking at the data.
2: Well, it's true. I mean, I have a, actually coach a, a travel soccer team. And one of the difficulties is like, how do we do that so that we're not playing games, um, at least Sunday mornings, if not Sundays? I mean, sometimes that's even that's not an option. And it's it's certainly something that even came up when we were talking about um, some things that we're trying to implement at the parish uh, around family f- uh, uh, catechesis and family faith formation. And I think a lot of it is that we're just conditioned to not care so much about religion and the faith, and people will ask in conversation, so, you know, what sports are you doing? How, how are you doing with the sports? As You know, it's almost like, you know what Matthew Kelly says, we're asking the wrong questions, right? So one of the things that he would recommend is he would ask his kids— in what way did the Lord speak at you in Mass today, right? And he's like, the the first few times he asked the question, uh, he got blank stares back, right? Because they weren't prepared for it. But then they got used to the fact that, okay, he's going to be asking me the question, maybe I should pay attention in Mass, right? And can we do something similarly to apply that to you know the group? Because I don't think we think with the end in mind, which is you know, um, again, just to quote someone else, Father John Ricardo talks about golf. He loves golf, right? And he's like, a, a, a normal golfer like you or I will go and hit the ball, hope we get somewhere near the fairway, right? And then go up to the ball or look for it, right? And then hit again, go find the ball, hit it again. Whereas a professional will look and see, okay, well, where's the um, where, where, where where's the hole, right? In, in the, on the green, where do I need to be on the fairway? In order to put myself in a position to get a good approach shot right okay if i need to be there what kind of you know how it's so basically you play golf backwards in some respects we don't live life backwards and so we're not thinking about the end in mind and therefore we we let ourselves be kind of consumed by the concerns of the world whether that be school um sports you know jobs whatever so we, we we're just not thinking with the right kind of
0: or we're not seeing the world with the right lenses Absolutely. No, yeah, definitely. I I like that idea, working backwards. And I I guess I never heard it put that way before. But yeah, but if you think about what your ultimate goal is in life, and then work backwards from there, I'm assuming you're what you're saying is that You'll probably be guided in a in, in in a much much more effective way because you know where the goal is. You know where that you know where the where the hole is where you got where you got to sink that putt.
2: And and I'll give you another example. So for example, I have five girls, and people would when they were young they would say, "Oh my gosh, poor you!" Right. First of all, that the fact that they would say that in front of my kids is kind of crazy. But 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 then they would say, "Oh, poor you!" when when they're teenagers. And I was like, you know what? I know now that they're going to be teenagers, and I know that there are going to be difficulties when they're teenagers. So I can work now, to f- you know, to form the the bonds, the relationship, to have the conversation with my kids, so that when they become teenagers, it's not like all of a sudden like the, a, a light switches, and I'm like, oh my gosh, now I got to figure out how do I be my my daughter's best friend. I don't your kid's best friend, but 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 the, but the idea is from the the moment they're born. Most likely, they're going to be teenagers, and you can start, you know, f- forming the bond, um, so that when they become teenagers, they can rely on you for help. I mean, I had I've had my kids tell me about, you know, their first kiss, their 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 men's, you know, when when they you know had their 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 cycles, all sorts of you know personal private things. Obviously, we had limits, um, and you know, we had their mom to to help out with certain things, but but I was like. I was so touched by by having those conversations and we just talk about whatever it is, right? Um and so that's another example of working backwards, right?
0: Ha- Hans play. I'm going to hand it over to Joe Rochelle. I just want to say though that uh, I, you know it, it's one of those things I think we've all heard growing up is like well teenagers are just going to do what they what, they're yeah. just going to do what they want anyway and I can't control it and I'm so happy that you just kind of wrecked that idea. No, if you're a good parent, you're forming them from the time they're kids, okay, Um, from the time they're little, and you're forming them up to the time they're teenagers. Now all teenagers make mistakes. We know it. That's one of the the prerequisites for being a teenager. You're going to make mistakes. But you're more well-equipped, based on what you just said, Hans Plate. You're more well-equipped to deal with those mistakes that you make. So I'm very happy you said that. We want to keep the conversation going. I'm handing it over to Joe Resinello.
1: Well, obviously, you know, a priest or a bishop, he wants to evangelize his people. Um, and obviously we want to know what the people are all about. I mean, you have to speak, you know, in terms of like the marketing world, you have to speak someone's language, um, and then you could understand them. How could your research help them to evangelize? Uh, because again, you have to, you know, we could all talk, you know, theologically speaking or philosophically speaking, particularly people who've been trained in that, but that's not the rhythms of the world to evangelize. You have to, or. Even to connect with somebody, you have to meet them where they're at, um, and then you have to take it from there. How could your research basically help them to evangelize?
2: You know, I I, I heard an interesting talk by Father Spitzer, Father um, uh, of the Magis Center, and he does he does more than just the Magis Center. And I think it was the the talk was in the context of uh, Pope Francis, and and one of the things that he that, that caught my attention in that is that he 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 mentioned that Saint Ignatius of Loyola taught or felt that one of the best ways to connect with with people and to move them to your way of thinking was, was with the expression, something to the effect of you walk, walk in through their door and you walk them out through your door. And so there's an accompaniment to that, right? And there's um, not... Admitting that someone's position is, is wrong or, or is, is wrong, right? Or not stating that, but you but you kind of like try to listen and and, and accompany them in, in in using language, I guess, that they connect with and that they use. But then again, the goal, the whole objective is to then walk them out through your door. And so mm-hmm. in order to do that, you need to understand them, right? I mean, that's like it goes back to the landscape research and and just pay close attention to what it is that you're hearing. I'll, I'll give you one example is that um we were testing some different concepts for how. Let me step back. We were doing research in the um, uh, in the pro-life world with uh, men in their 20s and early 30s. And we were uh, sharing with them different concepts or ideas for communicating with them about uh, about abortion and why it's wrong. And uh, a lot of the feedback we were getting is like these different concepts, you know, this sounds good, this resonates with me, this I find compelling. Would it change your behavior where you stand on the issue? No. And it's like, why? Well, you know, what is it? And then and, well, what would happen is like people would, would basically reveal they know um, many women who are victims of sexual assault and that is the reason that they either don't voice an opinion or don't want to be pro-life right and, and think the pro-choice is choice is the best option. It's like great, that's a good listening opportunity where it's like okay addressing something because there's they still have an objection. So we we actually did all this research before the development of these concepts um, and learn that there was still an issue that was, you know, we weren't quite touching on. So, so it's through active listening, I would say that you get to understand, okay, what are, what are the the things, the, the motivators? And the motivator in this case was, you know, they know people who have been sexually assaulted and they feel like we, we you know, we can't just take, take abortion away from them, which is obviously the, the answer. Then that's, the church reveals something to do something with, and then those ideas, of course. But that's 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 the critical insight. You know, it's not so much that this concept won or this concept lost. It's like just learn something significant that affects how they think about abortion.
0: Absolutely. Hans Play joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're weighing the breach. We're discussing Hans's uh, firm, Vinnie Research, and he is providing marketing research to church leadership, apostolates, parishes. He's helping the church. He's using his talents and he's at the service of the church, and that's what we're supposed to do. I have two quick comments and I'm going to hand it right back over to Joe. One is um, I'm glad you followed through with. Uh, What it means to authentically accompany someone I think that's a word that kind of gets thrown around, but there's never like the other shoe never drops I like the way you put it. I walk in through your door, but we walk out, I would say through the door of the church. Okay, sure. um, or, or my door or the door of the church, because you don't just leave it off while I walk to your door. No, there's a purpose to it. The purpose is to to evangelize, to get people in the church. The other thing, oh, no joke here. When I hear Father Spitzer, okay, when I hear his name, what I think of, what, when I think of him is I think of him as the atheist, secularist, worst nightmare, theologian, philosopher, and scientist. Can't really mess with that guy. No,
2: no. <laughs> you know, i um. One of one of the clients I do the most work with is Focus, the fellowship of Catholic University students.
0: Oh, I was just I was just on the phone uh, with them just really quick. It's funny, you met. I was just on the phone with a couple that are down in uh, Dallas um uh yesterday and uh because i had met them here in in um in arizona at one of the parishes i was at and uh and yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna support them and i'm gonna support others to support them i'm sorry to cut you off that's funny that you mentioned that yeah well and so i've been to several of their
2: conferences whether it be seek or, or sls and i had prior to that um Heard uh, Father Spitzer talk, and I and I loved hearing him talk. And I saw that he was on the agenda for uh, at, at at a Sikh conference. And I thought, how is this going to go over? Because he's really heady, and and here you have the you know these college students. Yeah, they're college students, not just you know older students or anything like that. But um, and so I attended one of his lectures. It was packed. It was mobbed. and they gave him a standing ovation at the end. So he he just re- really has a way of connecting with any audience. And and like I said, he he he. He's the wor- their worst nightmare, right? For for a certain uh, sets of belief. And I mean, what do you, Hans? Very, what do
0: guys- you argue with the guy on? <laughs> you, 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 seriously, he's got the philosophical yeah. grounding. He's got the he's got the theological grounding, and yeah, he, he's he's what like a a a, a, a very advanced physicist. Oh my think gosh, guys, yeah. guys, incredible. Joe Ruscinello, where do you want to?
1: Hans, you were talking about like the abortion question and kind of digging into the facts behind it. And I I want to talk about that with regard to breaking down barriers, because ultimately I've heard a priest say this, and I I definitely think it's true. A lot of times people have a lot of excuses why they don't like the church, but under it, it's one big one. You have to get underneath things and you have to, people put up walls because ultimately, you know, you could throw a lot of facts at people and they could be true and I've done this, but they'll reject it. They simply will not listen. You have to understand what's underneath, break down barriers of hate and defensiveness. And I think that's where your research comes in, asking people questions. Why do you feel this way? Like, like, what is the barrier between you and the truth? Because ultimately, I think, and that's what's, it's funny. We uh, we had one of uh, his associates, uh, Camilla, uh, Camille, I can't, remember father's her name but she does pro-life work on our show and she talked about that approach. She basically said before you talk or engage the, the pro-choice folks you have to understand what's underneath their issue. The truth is the truth but if you're not going to listen, what good is it? And that's where your research comes in. I think it can help guide a lot of homilies. With regard to where we're going to go, how am I going to get my message across? Because just saying it doesn't do it. Talk about how it breaks down those barriers and how your research can aid it.
2: Well, you know what? There, there's a there's a method of qualitative um, moderating called uh, the Right Brain, a group called the Right Brain um research, I guess it was, which is really uh, a, an interesting technique where you'll, you'll ask people to um, kind of think about the the picture in their mind's eye. So you'll actually either put a blindfold on or ask them to close their eyes to think about, um, you know, what, when, and taking abortion as an example, when is the first time they heard the word abortion? And uh, where were they? What were some of the things that they were thinking of, feeling? And, and that's all really to understand, some of those you know emotional drivers are so you can understand where you know what's the origin i guess of someone's position and reasoning for um for abortion actually uh, uh, jason shanks from osv uh, our sunday visitor he just he just put out an article on um on their news site which you know, on this topic of abortion is like, well, what was the original, and he, he asked the question, what was the original reason um, that people were in favor of abortion? What problem were they trying to solve? Because we just took away abortion, right, as an option for many of them. But can we go back to the problem that they're trying to solve? And can we find another solution for it that isn't abortion, right? And so that's, that's, again, another kind of instance or example of going upstream a little bit. And, and I'll go back to the, to the language uh, issue, like one, one word I hear, um, mentioned a lot in pro-life uh, circles is um, calling someone who performs an abortion, an abortionist. Right away, you say abortionist to, to anyone like that's, that's at all pro-choice, they'll shut you down, right? They'll shut down themselves because that's a very um, inflammatory uh, uh, kind of term for for a doctor that performs it. I mean, obviously you're you're using language in the wrong way to try to um, you know make your point. but i I think I think it's it's just a matter of listening in the right way and using the right words and terminology and not using insider language for sure.
0: no, no. I, Hans, I, I absolutely agree with you Hans plays, and I'm arguing with somebody, and I shouldn't do that. Let me be clear for all the audience out there at the front line with Joe and Joe. I shouldn't argue with anybody. But I find myself getting angry. OK, uh, particularly with somebody who's rabidly pro-choice. And I know in my heart, OK, don't use certain phrases yeah, because I'm not I shouldn't be looking to win an argument. I should be looking to help somebody or plant a seed with them so that they start to question their position, particularly on the issue of life um, and uh, the, the termination of a pregnancy. Um, so so I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You're going to you're going to be much more effective if you make the same point. It's not like you're shying away from the point that needs to be made—the evil of abortion—but doing it in a proper way. I bet that's why—that's why, yeah, why you you're, you you run the the research room because you know the language to use. Like I said, to be able to break down those barriers, you comment on yeah.
2: that. Yeah, you know what? Um, as a moderator, right, who has uh, Catholic Orthodox Catholic beliefs, it is very hard to conduct interviews with certain um, segments of the population because I disagree. And my job isn't to push them or to test them or to try to convince them, it's to understand them. And the motivator that I use is that the deeper or the better or more accurate understanding I have of what they believe, the better we'll be able to understand them and do something about it. And that's the the motivator to like get that part of my brain to just there are no um actually there's a little saint benedict's medal like you know right over there um other than that there's everything secular because I, I i i talk with people of all different backgrounds um even catholics right and when you talk with them on certain subjects they'll, they'll you know they have uh, differing opinions on things but that's very difficult but like i said my motivator is like if i can understand you better and, and accompany listen listening is by the way i think one of the an important part of accompaniment just listen to what are they saying without interruption right because we interrupt their thoughts and and therefore we, we you know we we they stop right they stop and we don't get to understand really what's behind it
0: i i think you're exactly right we're going to take a break counts um a little bit about your team and and uh before we take a break in about 30 seconds uh Uh, And, and, you know, a little bit about what you got going on down there. Uh,
2: So so my team is largely made up of uh, people that have worked in research in the corporate or commercial world uh, for years. And over my years in working in that area, I I made a lot of contacts that when I formed Vinia, I I reached out to several of them and and asked them, so what is your faith background? Right. Because remember, I was lukewarm Catholic, so I didn't really know, um, you know, didn't really engage people in any faith-related conversation. Uh, and so, lo and behold, there are a lot of uh, uh, c- Catholics that are or happy to or, or join on on Vinia and Catholic World.
0: Awesome, awesome. Hans Plage joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe, hello, Joe Rusciano. Hello, Wayne. The breach. We're discussing his coming up at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, thirteen fifty on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Spreading to the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. So stick around. We'll be right back. Where there's Catholic Radio,
2: the folks who listen. Deepen in their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to The front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're joined by Hans Plate, and he is the founder and president of Vinia Research, a marketing research firm that uh, is providing uh, services to church leadership, apostolates, advocacy groups. Um, and uh, we're very happy to have him on the show. This has been a fantastic conversation so far, and we're going to keep it going with that Joe Rasinello.
1: Um, Hans, I think sometimes if people aren't catechized correctly or they don't have a deep understanding of church teaching, sometimes they could feel like there's like a disconnect. They're not connected to the people in the parish. They're not connected to, to say, the priests, and they leave. I mean, I'll be honest, I think, and, and I'm interested in your comments, particularly in the research that you've done. Um, I think one of the things— uh, and we talked to a lot of different people, uh, a book, Brandon McGinley talks about the prodigal church. That's the name of his book, how we don't have community and we don't Catholics could do better at that. I think Protestant denominations have really good community. And if you're not grounded in teaching, like I'll be honest with you, I'll never leave the Catholic church because of the sacraments. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'll go to church if it's in the Czech Republic. It doesn't matter. I don't have to even understand the words. I'm getting the Eucharist. I'm never leaving, ever. You know what I mean? But not everyone has that, been gifted with that. So they, at first, you talk about getting them in the door. Well, you get them in the door, and then there's no community. You know what I'm saying? How could we do a better job? And what have you seen? Because I'm sure you've heard that um, with regard to having that connection, so people don't leave. And and I'm sure that will help, like parishes and priests. Well, I, I think the important, um, or the reason having that connection is so important,
2: is that it uh, it helps people to realize they're not on their on their own, right? And so I'm I'm part of a small a group of men that that gathers and it's it's a diverse group and they're at different level or different uh, you know stages of their their faith journey and knowing that is really helpful for for all of us um and I, and I and i think the other part of it that's lacking or that really helps is like knowing you know having this personal connection to jesus right and that's a lot of the reason that people i think leave the church uh is because they don't feel like they can get that from um you know or they don't they haven't felt like they're able to establish that or have that that personal connection and that's where the the communities uh have helped and so you know i've done a couple of studies where where the the, per, the community is really really important actually one of them is up your way we're doing a we did research with the uh, sales media I think they're at the diocese of uh, brooklyn i believe okay and um and yeah now you know one of the one of the things that's really important for them to understand is like what 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 does community look like for you what is it about community that appeals to you um so that they can see if they can develop uh some programs or some, facilitate the communities uh, facilitate the connections that help help these communities form um, and you know we talked about focus right so focus is is, is built around these small communities on, on college campuses that that has a mentor right someone that's keeping them on track uh and and helping them to grow in their faith and it they Center a large a large a large part of what they do is around Bible studies um but I heard Curtis Martin say it's not so much that he remembers much about what the different Bible studies Bible study topics were what points were made or what verses they read. It was more about the the fellowship of the of the guys um, that were in that that community or that group that really helped them to grow. Um, so we we see that uh, in a lot of different places. Actually, Exodus Exodus ninety is another one, right? That's a huge sure. fraternity, hugely community based, right? right? Exactly. They refer to them as fraternities, and and you know by the way, right there, Focus and Exodus ninety; those are two groups where the kind of research we've done is what we call impact research. So what is the long-term effect of participating in, in Focus or Exodus 90? And what we've seen is just that in both cases, it's off the charts. I mean, there's so much... More engaged with their, if they're with their faith, um, than the control arm was, um, and and have just grown in so many ways with their family, their faith, uh, their prayer life, um, their priorities, everything. I mean, that's it, those are two really you know, great, great, great apostolates.
1: And I'll tell you, community also. I mean, like-minded people help you because yeah. I mean, let's be honest, the world is not exactly. Um, you know, running into, into the church to be daily communicants. I mean, like, you know, when you go to work, you know, or or even in your own neighborhood, people just, that's not really on their mind. It's important to stay and have a circle of like-minded people. Like you have a Bible study. Um, you know, there's different lay groups. That's very, very important. And I think the church would do well by tapping into that a little bit. And I really think that your company would, could help them frankly, because like you said, you have to understand that particular parish, a dynamic of a parish in Brooklyn may be very different from one in Kansas, but there still is that area. And and to be honest with you, I think, again, just like companies just don't do things willy nilly. You know, they they understand their demographic. I think priests have to understand it and they have to get to the heart of it. And I think that'll help them. Hans, um,
0: plate, I have a uh, go ahead, Hans. No, I'm sorry. No, you were, no, <laughs> were going to comment Joe. on that. No, Hans, you were gonna were you gonna comment on that?
1: Um
0: I wasn't, I lost my train of thought. I'll come back to it. No, all right. Okay. I have a question out of left field um that just occurred to me. Now, I I remember the days growing up in Newark, New Jersey, okay. Um, everybody's Italian. Okay, so St. Francis Xavier Church stood right there on Bloomfield Avenue, literally at the center of both uh sides of the main uh street, Bloomfield Avenue, okay? Right there, big building. Okay. And everybody went to St. Francis, okay. But a lot of people, most people that were there were Italian, Italian-Americans, mm-hmm. okay? Does the – see, so now you were talking about an eth, a, a, a Catholic ethnic um, community. A lot easier, I think, to to get involved in community because you have not only the same religion, you have the same ethnicity, is the fact that – take Brooklyn. I was living there when when I first got married in 2013 because my wife was living there, okay? I was going to Regina Pachis um, over there on 63rd Street, the Basilica. used to be all Italian. Not so anymore. There's Black, there's Spanish, there's Asian, all right? There's all sorts of people. Has that been a barrier, do you think? Um, And again, you might not know, but I'm hoping that you could uh, shed some light. on. Has maybe that, like all the different ethnicities, and people are a little bit— more reluctant to get involved in the community because it's not homogeneous anymore i guess that's my larger point
2: yeah i think i think yeah i've been approached by a a few who work in dioceses where that's one of their their challenges is that they're multicultural um and they have a very the the the, the pastors have a very difficult time understanding well how do we incorporate all of this do we separate them that not segregate them right but do we have communities for each that appeal to each do we bring them together do we do some combination of both and they don't really know the answers to that. And I think I haven't had an opportunity to to do any research with those particular segments, but it is, it is just a segment. I mean, it's a segment that's based in um, you know, ethnicity or culture uh that I think is 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 an important thing that we do. I mean, we we seem to pay attention to um Age segments, right through through the generations, right, Gen Xers, Boomers, Millennials, uh, et cetera, Z. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to think a little bit more broadly about, um, you know, what are the segments of my parish, and then what do I do with it. And I, and I think you know an important important part of, of market research uh, and customer insights research, which is kind of what how we refer to it, is that is the initial planning. Right, the initial discussions that go into, well, what do you want? What what problem are you trying to solve? What does it look like? What do you know? What do you think you know? What don't you know? Right, and just having those kinds of conversations, which are essential to any project, helps you to refine. Okay, so this is the problem we really are trying to focus on, and therefore, this is what we need to know from from our parishioners, right? And so we can go out and ask them, interview them, survey them, whatever whatever you want to do. And there are some, some, some apostolates that are doing good work in this area. Um, OSV has one, what's it called? I had it somewhere at some point. Um, uh, I think, oh, Catholic design thinking, um, where basically they're trying to elevate your thinking a little bit so that it's, it's you know, the problem that you think you have is probably not the problem. There's probably a root cause that you need to think about. And you layer that up a couple of different uh, times and you'll get to, okay, mm-hmm. this is really the root problem. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and it, But it takes a con, you know concerted effort and time to have, you know, have those meetings and have those discussions and be open, you know, to, to think differently
0: because that's a little bit uh, different as well. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Hans Plate. Joe Racinello.
1: One of the many things that impressed me about your organization, Hans, when I was doing research on it was, um, as Joe alluded to right before the break, you know, the folks that work with you. I mean, if I invite all people who are listening to this interview to check out the website. I mean, it's impressive. You, you know, you got some serious individuals there. It's not just like, you know, Bob, uh, who goes to daily Met, Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a professional group. Hey, Bob, ind- what
0: can we do to better... You you know know what I mean? parents, right, right, right.
1: You know what I mean? It's not like it's a serious group of people. You and know that's what I mean? no
0: offense to Bob. Yeah, no, we love <laughs> Bob, bomb, but but
1: it. Bob is not going to do my marketing research. You know, you got a great team. And I bring that up first before we get into this topic. You know, you conducted some COVID uh research um and how it impacted the the lives of Catholics. Could you kind of share with us a little bit of that study? Because I think um we're obviously still in the throes of you know, the pandemic to some degree, it's not as is as, as you know evasive in our lives as it was, but we're still dealing with it. Um, how did that affect the Catholic Church? and how could um that study help um, you know, some of the priests who are still struggling with some of the challenges with covid? Yeah. one one quick thing on on the personnel, right and and the people involved that that's incredibly important
2: for two reasons. One is it's important to know how to ask the question right and to have the experience and asking the question the experience to moderate interviews or focus groups in a way where you're not leading the witness right you're not biased in how you ask the questions um and if you understand the problem you're trying to solve that's going to have an a, an effect on how you ask the question and what questions you asked and that's the first way the second way it helps is like well how, how do you interpret the data how do you analyze the data what do you do with it what are some of the more sophisticated tools that we have that we use in in the commercial world to really get at those insights, um, so that we can, you know, better develop conclusions, strategic recommend strategic recommendations around what it is that we're truly seeing in the data. So that that's why the the people are really really important. And 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 as you alluded to, all of these people have a lot of experience in doing that, in doing that in a highly competitive scenario, right? When you're working with Fortune 500 companies, sure. Like, Pfizer, like my gosh, people are calling on Pfizer all the time, right, to try to you know, do the work that we're doing. So it's, we've got to stay on the, you know, leading edge and and do high quality work in in order to just retain them, uh, let alone, um, you know, break down the door. And so anyway, so I had a conversation with a a pastor friend who happens to know the, the kind of work that I do. And one of the questions he asked is like, so there's so much I don't know about what Catholics are thinking as a, as it relates to the pandemic. Like, right? so what? How did COVID affect their lives? Um, what's you know? Were they streaming? Um, did they enjoy that? What, where are they now? Are they
1: going to come back? Like, right, that's the big. asked them what What do you want to know? Right
2: uh, from Catholics, um, we we tested or field tested a survey, and then we we finished on or landed on the, f- the final product, where we surveyed uh, fifteen hundred Catholics, mostly those who attended Mass more frequently. Right, we have a sampling of those who who didn't as much, but we wanted to get the perspective of the people in the pews. Be pre- COVID, and um, you know, and, and there, there was a mix like with any any survey like this, there was a mix of news and bad news. I I think the biggest the biggest, um, uh, eye, most eye-opening uh, or it kind of revealed the the difficulty that we have around or the poor catechesis we've done around um, the Mass, right, and having people understand what what is the Mass, why should you go to Mass, what are you receiving at the Mass, what are you contributing in the Mass, um, all of this. And the reason I say that is because we, we ask people, uh, you know, in the next three months, the this, this survey was fielded in in late February. We asked them, "In the next three months, in the next three months, how likely are you to go to mass physically? Be, you know, go to mass." And among those who said no, and it was a large percentage, it was actually get this: it was about a quarter, a quarter of people who went to mass weekly or more often said that in, in the next three months they were not going to be, you know, not likely to be present at mass, right, physically present. And then we asked them why not, and. Most of them cited personal health concerns, things of that nature. But there was about a third of the the, the respondents who said, for convenience reasons. So I I don't have to dress up to go to mass. I don't have to drive anywhere. I don't have to participate. It's easier for me, right? And they selected convenience reasons only, and that mm-hmm. can only be because they're not catechized on, on understanding what the mass is, right? And and Catholics are a little bit of a disadvantage in that we don't, you know, we haven't really catechized well. We, we, you know, it happened with my family. My, I went to mass as a kid because my parents told me to go to mass, right? We never had a conversation about why, uh, and if we did, I'm sure it was, you know, maybe one or two, and they were like ill-equipped to get to have a good conversation for me. And, you know, fortunately, I kind of came back from that. But I think that was the big, the big findings that so many people got accustomed to streaming mass, and lost sight of, you know, what the purpose of mass was, and, and, and are not going to come back.
1: Yeah, I want to t- touch on that a little bit. I think people yeah. are, you know. Uh, and you would know this, uh, you know, much more than I, I mean, people like, they do things out of habit and there's a lot of like, cradle Catholics. Like I'm Italian. We went to mass, you know, my parents weren't like rosary praying the rosary, like, you know, yeah. pious, but they went to mass, you know, and they brought us, thank God. Um, you know, but the understanding of what the mass is, and I want to touch on that particularly. So once you break that, that routine, they may not go back to it because obviously they don't understand what they're missing. But I think the root issue there, this is my view and I'm interested in both your opinion is what am I getting out of it again in business, in anything, what am I getting out of it? Like when I gear my kids towards something, that's what I think. What are they going to get out of this? If they want to go to a summer camp, what are we getting out of it? I want to send them to private school. What are we getting out of it? People don't get things out of the mass because, and this is my view and I'm interested in, but they don't go to confession. You see, I believe this and and I'll, you know, this is the front line answer huh? and I'm going to say it, you know, like people don't go to confession. And if you're not going to confession, you're not receiving the graces From the Eucharist, you're not receiving the graces from the words. They're bouncing off of you. And that's like if someone told me straight up, they said, I've been going to mass for 40 years. I get nothing out of it. The first thing I'm going to ask, and I bet you I hit it right. When's the last time you went to confession? 40 years ago. You see. Hmm. That that's what I think. I think we have to open ourselves up to Christ and it begins with confession. That's what John the Baptist said. He said, repent and then believe the gospel. Then I think you're going back to mass because you're starting to get something out of it. What, what are your thoughts? And then Joe, what are your thoughts?
2: Mm -hmm. Hans, please. Okay. So I have I have three things that I tend to focus on as as things that really, really matter in terms of being able to retain your faith. And and one of them is confession. I mean, I I am a true believer in in the necessity for that grace and and just the the, the humility of um of thinking about your your sins and your spiritual development uh in your, in your spiritual life on a regular basis um that's one third you know two two would be uh the mass itself right just you know going to mass on a regular basis and then the third would be uh, daily prayer um i think having having those three and by the way daily prayer can also include eucharistic adoration or you know things sure. of, that of that nature absolutely i think that's um that's essential and i think that that will will change um, practices. I think the other problem though is that for so many Catholics, and I think the reason people focus on what do I get out of mass is that for Catholics, the Catholic life is one hour a week. And so you're focused on what am I getting out of this time as opposed to living a Catholic life, right? Your faith is your life and then for one hour of that Catholic life, you're worshiping, right? you're 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 not expecting expecting to receive anything. Right. I mean, you, you will, um, but, but that's not the expectation. Right. And so you, you're, I think people are putting the wrong burden on, on the mass and therefore not getting uh, getting anything out of it. We're too much of a consumeristic society, you know, which is focused on that. What am I getting for this? Uh, and so I think that's part of the problem as well.
1: No, but, but also, yeah. I'll tell you the truth I, I, I could get again speak for me. I know who I am. Um, and one of the reasons why I, I am a Catholic is because I need the sacraments, I know who I am at the root of it i am a sinner um and still am and i go to mass because i receive the eucharist in a state of grace because i go to confession regularly um and it's viaticum it's food for the journey that's the the fancy word for anyone who may not know not that i'm a fancy guy but that's the (laughs) word (laughs) but anyway that i think has to people have to connect that dot um and I, and I do think the COVID thing, it broke that pattern. Like people who, you know, could be like the old Italian lady who hasn't gone to confession or just goes because she was taught to go to church. But they never thought outside of the road. And now all of a sudden for 18 months, two years, you stop going and you're like, well, I still feel the same way as I felt before. Right. I'm not going because uh, I, I, I'm not. And, and I think. We have to connect people to Christ. I mean, to use Protestant terms, they say, well, I have a personal relationship with them. It doesn't get more personal than consuming Jesus. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get more personal than that. And once you understand that that's Jesus, this is how it affected me. Like I try to go when I'm in the city, um, New York City, I go two days a week. I go to mass at lunch. Everyone knows it too at work. I don't go to lunch. I go to mass at mm-hmm. at twelve ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my my point is because that's Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm going to get him because yeah. I need him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think that is where we got to connect with the people. You know what I'm saying? What do you think?
0: Yeah, was that for me or for Joe?
1: Yeah, no, but <laughs> uh, Joe, any uh, of you guys? That's for
0: you, Hans. Play joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Right. Hans, that was for you.
2: Yeah, no. So I I. I, I agree and you know what one one interesting thing is that um, you represent one segment of the population and that's where research comes in is it helps us understand okay so is your segment of the population in terms of the, the need for the sacraments um at least feeling that, that that's the driver for you and in, in mass attendance is that you know 10 percent of Catholics or or 20 or 30 percent of Catholics and and so you know that's that, that's that's a really important uh, insight that you that you mentioned because it's certainly certainly true a lot of one
0: catechism. thing I one thing I would say, what I would comment on Hans Plates joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joey is the founder of Vinia Research at the service of the church. His firm is to try to help with catechesis, with parishes, with apostolates, with ministries. Uh, very, very important. So that so that we know how to get the message out there more effectively. That's what Hans does. I would say this. There's a Hans. I mean, tell me if you disagree. There's a lot of voices in the church. A lot of voices of disagreement in the church, okay? My view is very simple. C.S. Lewis wrote Mere Christianity. He tried to explain Mere Christianity. This is what all Christians believe. We need to get back to mere Catholicism, I think. Hmm. But I think out of that will bring unity. I think those who are in error, and I do believe not because we are right and we pound our chest, but there's a lot of people in error, okay? They, They believe in things that the church says that you absolutely cannot believe. Take abortion. Okay? I'm not gonna pick on anybody. I'm just saying it's a fact. There are there are rabidly po- pro-abortion Catholics out there, just to use as an example. If people avail themselves of what you guys were just talking about, the mere Catholicism, pray every day, go to confession regularly and get that grace that jesus wants to give you by the way i don't know anybody who would leave a gift on the table i'm not okay if you got a gift for me i'm coming to get it and i'm unwrapping it all right so i stay close to confession and i receive the eucharist every week why because i'm great no because i'm not that's the whole point okay yeah. but at the end of the day i might have entertained a lot of the thoughts of a lot of people out there Have that I know to be wrong, that the church teaches to be wrong, and the Holy Spirit has helped me because it's the grace that has has that has enabled me to 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 see, as Jesus said, for those who have eyes to see, then see. Okay, but I've seen not because I'm brilliant, but because I avail myself of what the church offers, which is a mere Catholicism of prayer, confession, Eucharist, staying close to Christ. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. That's the way. That's the way I see. You want to fight a culture war? You want to fight a spiritual battle? Okay that's what Joe and I do okay um then then we we're focused on those three things your comments yeah, I I agree and I, I kind of think about you know back to basics
2: right um and and that's that's why in particular I like the work that they're doing at Acts 29 Father John Ricardo um and and one of the things that they focus on the charisma Honestly, um, and how do you present in the kerygma in, a, in an incredibly compelling, compelling way? And I, I can't think of the specific examples, but he'll he'll refer to how the kerygma used to be presented and how 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 unmoving it was, right? I mean, there's better language, there are better ways to describe the kerygma and uh, and 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 have people understand just the basics because they don't. It's similar to to me, right? So it took me attending this uh, Jeff Cabin's seminar to understand salvation history and where I fit into it, right? There was a narrative, there's a story, there's a thread. It's not just all these different random Catholic facts. Uh, uh, and so knowing that really grounded me, I think, to be able to take on like some of the more advanced topics like Scott Hahn books, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, things of that nature. And I think, I think the same thing with the Kerygma, I think it's incredibly important to for for Catholics to know that.
0: Remind the audience again, uh, the Kerygma is,
2: well it's what what Catholics you know, basically is salvation history, right? It's just the you know what is it that that we believe. so they're depending on so Father John what had, had, he has a three acronyms that he uses or three words uh, captured, created, sorry created, uh captured, um and then uh, forget the last one. So anyway, but, it, but basically, obviously, we were all created um, um, by God uh, in, in his uh, image and likeness. The devil came uh, and, and uh, captured the, the world. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're in this, this state of sin. And so we need uh, rescue. Rescue was the other one, by the way. We need mm-hmm. Jesus. Jesus came in and rescued us. And then and therefore, what's our response to that, right? What do we need to do? It's like, well, we have to evangelize, right? Continue to grow in our faith, but then evangelize others as well. And Absolutely. so that's that's the, the
0: nutshell of uh, the kerygma, I think. Thank you for that, Hans uh, yeah. Joe, we probably have time for one more question.
1: I want to definitely direct people to where they can get access to, to the study that you did on COVID-19, because I think that's very important. But I, I also I'm interested in the study um, because I think a lot of people and, I, and I'll be honest, I was upset that I could not go to mass. Um, there was a priest, Joe and I, um, before Joe moved, he would have mass in a parking lot um unsanctioned he, and he was in his 80s and we would go and go to mass i did not really miss mass because of father george god bless him um does the study talk about because I, and and i try to be fair i think sometimes people don't understand that you know there are legal ramifications like insurance people sue this is the world we live in and i mean like i think you know while mass stopped um You know, not everyone plays the game fair and you know someone gets covid and they sue the priest they sue the church the church goes down Mm. (laughs) i mean Mm. like and like and i don't think everyone gave them the benefit of the doubt on that because i mean just Mm. like uh, you know you're a dad i'm a dad joe's a dad i don't sleep with the door open you know in the middle (laughs) like yeah you gotta like be smart you gotta think about the world and what are your thoughts to to give some clarity to the guy to gives the priest the benefit of doubt because in some cases their hands were tied
0: Hans, we have about two minutes left, brother.
1: Yeah,
2: sure. I and I I think there's truth to that. I, I really do. Um Trying to think of an example that 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 comes to mind, or if any any comes to mind from the research itself, but I I do think that their hands were tied. Um, and but, but one of the things to their credit is they they were creative, right? So some actually did adoration from, you know, their window of of the of the rectory, right? And and or had parking lot confessions, right? Uh, certainly mass on in, in you know in the parking lot or on the grass uh, as well. And I, I think the other place where you know, people don't give get enough credit is that uh, there are people that indicated that they. You know, it has safety concerns about. You know, going back to mass, physically present, and so what I did is I looked at the research and the data. Those people, it, it, as a rule, tended to also be less likely to go to go to the movies, right? When things opened up, you know, gather with large audiences, and so there's a there's a, a, a legitimate segment of people that are concerned, right? Maybe wrongfully concerned, but they they're still feeling that emotionally, and it's it is what it is. And so I think I think that's another area where people didn't give uh, others the uh, the benefit of the doubt.
0: Yeah, Hans Plate. Vinia Research, what do you got on the plate right now? Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so by the
2: way, you can get the, the the results if you just go to my website, uh, dot com, um, slash forward slash uh, COVID report. Or it's on the homepage as well. Uh, this month we're going to do another COVID uh, follow-up, basically to see where where are people now with with COVID. Um, I am uh, writing a report on a on a on a Kerygma survey we did not too long ago, uh, so that's on the plate. And then I'm I'm looking to see what the next topic will be that we'll we'll do nationally, just to again. So it's interesting just to do research on on my own because I'm not necessarily trying to solve a problem. Uh, I'm trying to provide information, and so uh, I'm getting a group of people together to help us understand. So where are the biggest gaps of information? And so we'll design research around around those gaps.
0: Hands play. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. This is a great conversation. And God bless you and everything you do uh, with your research firm. And obviously, you're going to be in our prayers. And we would ask everybody out there to keep vinnia research in your prayer. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. God bless.
1: And pray for us, please. We need prayers. please pray for
0: us. (laughs) And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, I'm going to ask you to download the app so you can uh, have access to all of our station's content, share it with your friends, and please support Joe and I on social media primarily at The Frontline TV, The Frontline TV on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.